0: Welcome to week 11 of Stat Chasing. There's only three weeks left until we hit the fantasy playoffs. And this week, we got blue-balled by the return from injury from Devon Achan and Justin Jefferson. This is Stat Chasing. Pat fryer Halmo. <laughs> this
1: is why. This is why I'm hot.
0: Anita Hanjob. Fix your sight. Jamar. Alpha play chase.
1: <laughs> Are you kidding me, <laughs> can I, can I, can I you? you can't handle the heat. Gee, it looks like we're finally at this boy's right. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you might even say we got a we got a turkey from a chain.
0: <laughs> we we did <laughs> we did yeah. The, man, that was so disappointing um, as a man who has, like, 24% Devona Chan in BBM. Was really looking forward to this week. Um, but, uh, alas, I'll, I'll have to wait at least one more week for him to come back.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm um, sort of not consoling myself, but I am thinking, even with the Justin Jefferson stuff, where if I can still get some Jefferson teams in, like low own um, Justin Jefferson coming off injury is so nice. The uh,
0: the Justin Jefferson dynamic is super interesting too because you're going to have such a high rate of those teams being paired with Kirk Cousins. So the holy grail is you get a Justin Jefferson, Devon Chan with no Kirk Cousins team through yeah. the playoffs. That's like, I, I, yeah, that feels like such a smash to me if you sneak any of those through. And I, you know, Lord knows I got to, Good grip of those because I was, I sun ran the 101 uh, pretty hard this uh, mm-hmm. this summer. Uh, you know, I think Underdog got wind that I was becoming a best ball influencer, so they were just making sure that I got my due of 101s. And so I'm overweight JJ by a good clip. Uh, you know, got a huge bag on a Chan, and then I was just about field neutral on a uh, Kurt Cousins. So I might might be able to sneak a couple of those in there.
1: How how does this sound? So uh, no Kirk Cousins. Chua, uh CJ Strad with Tank Dale, Jordan Addison, um, and Justin Jefferson with a chan and JT and Brees. I, I can only get so erect. <laughs>
0: that's <laughs> that's, that's, that's a monster. Pretty good. Yeah, that's that's one where uh if you get that one through, how's it sitting right now?
1: Oh, it's going it's going to advance.
0: Oh yeah, baby.
1: That's nice. That's um, really exciting. So uh, it's a it's ahead by about well ahead by about forty six points.
0: That that is pretty exciting. Um, well, I had I had an interesting uh, interesting weekend. So uh, shout out to Jayfresh who was nice enough to uh, invite me along to King of the Beach as one of his plus ones. The man was just beasting and got three tickets through on DK's King of the Beach tournament. So I was in Miami with him, uh, you know, just doing some uh, doing some scouting of Miami prior to my trip there for the dog bowl. Really making sure that I've got the right mindset to take that down. So uh, it was a it was Getting a fun your experience. Getting in early, out of the way with, so you're just sat down and focused. It, exactly, December. exactly. It was very strategic. Um, but you know what? I think that uh, there was a hit that got placed on sacrilegious on my my travels back you know one of my fellow dog bowl competitors put it out on me my uh my plane had an engine malfunction on the way back from oh, miami Jesus. i literally i've never felt this before so we're, we're flying we've been in the air for like three hours and the plane like all of a sudden feels like it stops moving forward like uh not like a hard lurch but like we just lost a considerable amount of speed Uh, pilot gets on the intercom is like, Hey everybody, uh, we're having an engine malfunction. We're going to have to turn around and land back in Austin. You Uh, just can't trust these
1: basketball nerds.
0: No, no. Yeah. So someone out there was trying to knock me off before the dog bowl, but, uh, you know, rumors of my demise have been greatly exaggerated. I'm, uh, I'm still alive and kicking. So.
1: Okay. I'll have to try again harder next week. Oh man. What a plot (laughs) twist. (laughs) (laughs) and and i i hear you uh you told me you have some personal news to share too
0: oh yeah almost forgot um so my my work my uh my content is going to be over at leg up going forward uh contributing over at pat's site uh super excited to be on board there i think i i can't remember if i've said this on the show before but literally the reason that i joined the ship chasing discord was I was grinding the FFPC playoff tournament last season, and I had made my own ownership projections and combinatorial ownership stuff, and uh, I was watching ship chasing and saw you know Pat talking about his ownership projections, and I, I you know paid the premium Discord subscription just to get those projections and compare them to mine. So uh, you know obviously Pat's a super sharp dude and uh, very excited to be working with him going forward.
1: Yeah, well, uh, now, uh, no, no I guess two two cross collaborations. Well, the, 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 this this one is it's smaller, but uh, uh, well, I I don't know where it's going with that. Uh, <laughs> you're you're in you're intertwined with the ship chasing community now. I guess yeah, they've fallen into the fold.
0: And honestly, uh, you know, I know we've had a pretty long preamble here before we get in the charts, but just like the thing that is keeping me interested in fantasy football this season, like. I feel like it's normal for people to get burned out as you go through fantasy season. It's long, it's grindy, especially if you're doing like a lot of work, either whether it be on content or you're doing like your own analysis to try and make sure you're staying sharp and, and getting the biggest advantage you can in the game formats that you play. It's easy to get burnt out by this point in the season. But honestly, for me, like the community uh, is so fantastic that that is really what's keeping me going. So Shout out to the coolest community, uh, you know, not just in fantasy. You guys are just awesome. So happy to be a part of it.
1: Yeah, well, uh, I, I, everyone in 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 the community has definitely have been happy to uh, to have you. And with that said, let's. Uh, I know this is a bit abrupt, but let's uh, let's kick into the uh, the quarterback chart. And I think. I, I feel I feel like if, if we're trying to cut off some of the turkey to, to or, or some of the gravy for uh, Thanksgiving that um I I don't know that we have a lot more to share on um, on quarterbacks. You you want me to rapid fire my takes when I was putting this No, 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 no. Oh
0: I I mean I was gonna say but, like there's there's really not a, you're right, there's not a ton of things we need to spend time on here. I, I really just had like two or three that I, I want. Yeah, to no, on. no, I I
1: don't want to shortchange any point. Just um, I, I'm more making the I'm more more making the point that a lot of this stuff we we've sort of discussed. Yeah, absolutely. My my
0: biggest takeaway is just you know looking at this chart. Number one, I mean I've already capitulated on Brock Purdy this season. Like he was a great pick for best ball, great fantasy quarterback. I will still say, I think he's not a good real life quarterback, but it doesn't matter. He's in the best system for a quarterback. I'm pretty sure you could pick like 80% of the quarterbacks that are on this chart, put them in San Francisco and they'd have better numbers than Purdy, right? That's, that's my whole thing, but I was wrong for fantasy because it doesn't matter. It's just the system. So my mental note to remember going forward is, you know, I'm pretty sure it's going to be Purdy next year, but whoever it is, whoever Kyle Shanahan's quarterback is, if they're surrounded by... The caliber of weapons that San Francisco has right now, you just draft that quarterback. Like that, that's all. All there is to it. It doesn't matter how bad you think they are. You just draft them. So that was my my purdy recapitulation and also uh, reigniting my fervor that he's not a uh, a good real so, life quarterback. But it doesn't matter.
1: So one thing that I think is a little bit interesting is that Jimmy G benefited from the same system, but was never actually that useful. As a, um, (laughs) it was never that useful as as a sort of fantasy producer. Like he he definitely had games, but then there was also games where like they were like "Uh, you know let's just hand the ball off forty times, and even though you're going to be really efficient on a per attempt basis, the the uh, the overall counting stats were never there. You. Do you think that? I I guess it's it's a somewhat nuanced point where we don't. I, I would agree with you where it's it's hard to make the case that Brock Purdy would be fantasy useful in an any other team, but it, is it also like I guess a bit of an indictment on uh, Jimmy G that he was used that differently, or or am I just reading way into that? No, I I bet you you know like like usual, the truth probably lies
0: somewhere in between, right? So I would say, number one, I I did think Jimmy G was a pretty terrible quarterback, you know, all all the way through and through, Um, you know, and and he always had been a product of the system, right? When he took over in New England for that stretch, it was it was another good system, a good situation for him to be in, um, where he could game manage his way to wins. And then the same thing in San Francisco. And, you know, the the one thing I guess I could say about Jimmy G is he never had Christian McCaffrey like Brock Purdy does, but not that I think that he would be putting up the Brock Purdy-like numbers. I think, you know, Jimmy G might just be worse than Purdy, um, but that's, I don't think that's saying very much. So I, I bet you that I'm probably a little biased against Purdy, just, and I think it's like the opposite of the endowment effect, right? Like I don't have very much Purdy. I didn't think Purdy was very good, and so because I don't have very much, I'm biased against him. Uh, but like clearly, uh, and he's just
1: good. just um, that that's a some I guess non non fantasy football technical term. So the endowment effect is that something you have you value more than if you don't have it, and it's something that that's sort of like psychological testing. Like it's 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 a reason. It's sort of like when somebody drafts a team and then they actually value the team more than anybody else. But it's, it's like, it's, it's also sort of like, if somebody just gave you the team, gave you a team with Justin Jefferson, then by you having Justin Jefferson, you value him more. And it, it's a bit counterintuitive, but it's a real thing tested over, over decades now. and. Um, and, and and so maybe that's an over-explanation, but no, I, I think that was good just for for anyone out there that was like, what is what is Zach
0: talking about? But that was that was my first one, um, the the Brock Purdy take, um, just gonna be good for fantasy football going forward. The next one yeah. is, uh, and I'm just gonna say this one once, and I'll never say it again for the rest of the season, but play Lamar Jackson every single week. Um, you, you know, just like he's still sitting in that spot where it's like primo regression candidate. And and what you're looking at, in in my opinion, is he's, like, if you look at the size of his bubble for, like, his rushing yards per game, him and Fields are basically the same in rushing yards. But we know how good that Ravens offense is, and we know how many touchdowns they're capable of putting up. And and really, it's just they keep getting – it's kind of like how David – or not David Montgomery. um, It's kind of like how Jamal Williams just got – all of those touchdowns last year the lions just had like chronic get taken down inside the five itis last season right and so jamal williams cleans up all the scraps gets a ton of touchdowns lamar is kind of running into the opposite of that effect where they keep getting down in these really you know close goal to go situations and it's okay gus edwards punch it in baby and so you know all it takes is for some of these more explosive plays like for example the 68 yard zay flowers uh, pass that got called back on the phantom holding this this last week on Thursday night like if that goes like lamar's having a mo- even more monster game like he had a good game he has a monster game with that right and so so
1: just to comment on 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 sort of usability um so the ravens next game is the sunday night game this weekend against the chargers so i guess it's it's one of those weird things where it's going to be an island game and i i I would really hate it for all the sort of like dfs stuff if he if lamar had his monster game in an island game where you don't really get the benefit of of it on a main site and then it's an island game where he's probably going to be like insanely high owned
0: yeah, I would say just for, uh, for the, my fellow showdown bros out there, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I'm just going to run my process and do what my process tells me to do. But my very early brain player take is I'm going to come in extremely overweight Lamar Jackson captain. And then in the same vein, I'm going to come in extremely overweight Gus Edwards captain and just say that, you know, whichever way the game script plays out, um, in those kind of outlier type games where it's like, oh my gosh, Gus got all the touchdowns. I'm set up well. And in the games where Lamar explodes and Gus kind of gets starved out, I'm also set up well. And then for those intermediate kind of like Gus still got some and Lamar got some, I'll probably run some like Ravens onslaught type builds with both Lamar and Gus and have whatever captains kind of make sense there. I might might even do that with like, uh, you know, one or two chargers with... Potentially a charger in the captain slot, and then Lamar and Gus in the flex. But that's uh, we're we're getting way too into the showdown rabbit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You you
1: got six days. You're six days from a showdown site. I'm. But I get it. Sicko. I get it. It's helpful for people to think about um how how exactly how to play it, how it it's it's uh, usable. And then
0: my my last quarterback uh, take just from this chart. It's just that CJ Stroud is absolutely him. I mean, we—I I think I've said it like six weeks now, but this guy's so good. I'm super excited to watch him for his career. Like, I—I uh, I hope that Trevor Lawrence has more games like he did this last week, where he—and we've seen this from him in the past, where he sneaks in these couple rushing touchdowns and he's efficient in the passing game too, and he just goes off. I think you could end up with something really fun in the AFC South between Anthony Richardson, Trevor Lawrence, C.J. Stroud, um, and then you know whatever bullshit the Titans end up doing. <laughs> but seems like that could be a really fun quarterback division going forward. Might uh, might come in way overweight on that division in some way too early basketball type stuff. So uh,
1: makes uh, makes sense. And then I guess the other uh, other person worth calling out is a new, a new addition to the chart, which is DT Orr, who I didn't even see him on the <laughs> on the first time I looked at it. Like, literally, he, he is in the bottom left-hand corner. And, yeah, uh,
0: they, didn't did even let him, well. they did not even let him drive the bus. He was more so just pulling the wagon. They didn't trust him behind the wheel of a motor vehicle, but they were like... I mean, we gotta get somewhere so you can pull this little wagon, buddy. Um, and yeah, that's that's the type of play that we got from him. So not not really fantasy relevant.
1: Yeah, um, and and like what's interesting there is so obviously we're uh, uh, what you call it. We only have one game from, but it it was like what forty three attempts. So it's not like it's like a sixteen attempt and then. Tiny sample size. Like it, he played a full game. He just played awful.
0: Yeah, from from what I watched too, um, my my film grinder takes on it. He just he looks like the kind of passer that people were worried that Anthony Richardson would be. Looks grossly inaccurate in spots. Um, you know, I didn't even really see him take very many deep shots down the field. So he's lacking that strength that Anthony Richardson has. He does have a little bit of juice in his legs. Um but I'm pretty sure that that the Browns are a well-coached team. I I think that Stefanski knows what the team's strengths are and they're going to do everything they can to hide DTR and and just the way that they're going to be calling those games is really going to be hard for him to produce any kind of usable fantasy week. I mean you're you're pretty much purely looking for some crazy rushing upside type game. And I think the only way you get something like that is the Browns play against a team that's actually able to score on their defense and stop the run and pressure the passer and take away the short throws. So you're like, you need to hit like a five leg parlay for DTR to potentially have a ceiling. And and even then, then he still has to actually go out and and rush. (laughs) So not interested.
1: Not, not, not interested. And, um, and we can talk about Browns players later, but definitely take some of the, uh, some. not that there was much any mustard on the hot dog already, but even less now.
0: Yeah, I think that's it for quarterback yeah. if you want to move on to the yeah. running back charts because we got four of those to get through.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is our running back snaps and usage chart. And we have uh we have rush attempts, we've routes, we have pass blocks, and and running run blocks. And those are all expressed as a percentage of the uh team's overall plays. And obviously we want rush attempts, but we also want route percentage because we we want players that are out there running around. You can't get a check down unless you're out there running. You can't get a check down if you're pass blocking. And if you're not even pass blocking, then the co- the coaches don't even trust you on passing downs, and um, so so that that's sort of how this is set up. And I I guess another note, sorry uh, to put you off, uh, this this is the the last four week average, so week eight through eleven, uh is what we've got. Sorry, nine nine, and sorry, <laughs> I forgot how to count eight through eleven? That's correct.
0: Yeah. Um, and really just for me, it's uh, my, my biggest notes. Cause again, most of this stuff, we, you know, we, we've gone over, we've talked about, you know, these guys roles and how they've kind of changed and crystallized over the course of the season. There's
1: really not too many huge movers or changes. So you know, it's so wanna... expected that Devin Singletary is the workhorse, but <laughs> it's not, it's not even, it's not even worth talking about. It's like, just what, what do you expect? I mean, we talked
0: about Devin Singletary the last couple of weeks. I know, <laughs> I know he's your favorite player. I know that for, it's for just every so time funny. I talk bad about Brock Purdy and good about Lamar, you need to talk about Devin Singletary. So, <laughs> so yes, we can we can acknowledge that Devin Singletary is getting an absurd amount of work, and it looks like you know even if even if Pierce plays this week, I would still expect Devin Singletary to be the one a in the backfield and Pierce to take more of a one B role. I, you know, it's, it's kind of the coaching staff is, is not going to just throw that away and say, all right, right. Evan Singletary, you're back to the, you know, relegated to getting only a few touches role. Um, he's he's going to be getting the lion's share. I would assume going forward. Uh, yeah. the, the things that I wanted to point out um, just for like, Ways that you guys can apply this information going forward. Um, Last week, we talked about the Saquon Barkley role and how he was kind of mispriced in dog bowl drafts. And I actually had a couple different Saquon teams live for another Miami ticket. Unfortunately, I fell a little bit short. I had had two teams where with one more Brees Hall touchdown, I could have potentially snuck two in. One would have gotten in for sure. The other would have depended on the yardage with the Brees Hall touchdown, but they had Saquon on them. They also had either Trevor Lawrence or Calvin Ridley. Unfortunately, I didn't get that combo on either of the teams that had Saquon and Tyreek on them, which is what I would have needed to punch my ticket. But I think the the theme is the same this week. So Saquon um, has moved up in the market a little bit this week. You know, now that people have seen it recently, they're realizing, oh yeah, the rule's still good. I'm willing to click Saquon. But there's two guys who the market is just disrespecting so so much right now. I think I have one of them in every dog bowl draft I've done so far this week, and I'm gonna finish my drafts tonight for the. I'll be done for the week because I'm just gonna get these players um, right before they move up because they'll they'll project well in ETR stuff and they're gonna climb up, uh, you know, in the market. But that's Josh Jacobs and Rashad White, and the roles are elite elite for these guys. They're so so good, and. People are, are like, I feel like people are scared off of Jacobs because he had a kind of bad game against Miami. You know, it didn't get very much done and they're going to play the Chiefs, which is a good defense. But I mean, the role is just so good that, you know, I, I think that you just lean into it and, and you can get Jacobs in like the fourth round or I you probably could get him in the fifth round. I wouldn't know. I just click him every time he gets to me in the fourth though. Um but yeah, people just don't want to click the guy. And then same thing with Rashad White. Like Rashad White's role is so, so good. Um, I, I believe, and correct me if this uh, stat is is incorrect, but I'm pretty sure he is second in the NFL in receiving yards for running backs, only behind Christian McCaffrey. And it's like, guys, does anyone remember that uh, we're supposed to care about, you know, passing game work for running backs? Like that's that's the high value touch stuff. Like we, we care about this. And this guy's just doing it at an elite level and people are just letting him go in like the fourth round in dog bowl drafts. So Josh Jacobs, Rashad White, go get them while they're hot. Um,
1: They're going to move up. But
0: yeah, that's... I I
1: did fact check you, right? So Christian McCaffrey, number one, with 364 receiving yards. Rashad White, number two, with 354 receiving yards. So 10 lit, yeah, so that's yards than CMC.
0: Yeah. So so that's what I'm saying. Like we have in our brains the bias from before the season of Rashad White sucks, and then the bias from the early part of the season of, oh look, now we have data and Rashad White's inefficient and he sucks. Guess what? He could suck even worse than he had sucked. And if he gets this passing role, it doesn't matter. Like it it couldn't matter less. Like you could honestly take away like all of his expected points from rushing and he'd still be a usable fantasy running back. He wouldn't be good, but he'd still be usable, you know? So the receiving role is just too, too good to pass up there. Um, so absolutely love that. Uh, both of those are super inefficient spots in the underdog BR streets. Um, I I'm only doing dog bowl entries, so that's what's framing it for me, but just a a heads up to the people. Um, I don't, let's see the other uh, other interesting stuff this week. He got the Aaron Jones injury, but and AJ Dillon's been slightly better. He's one of those other players where he had some stink on him from earlier in the season from being really inefficient. He's still pretty inefficient, um, but he's been like a little bit better. And so I would say, you know, if you're in a pinch and you need a running back start, give AJ Dillon a chance. I, I don't think he's going to do anything terribly exciting for you, but.
1: You know, I, I think that he's he's certainly usable. Are, are you talking about if Aaron Jones misses time or yeah. e- even if Aaron Jones plays? Aaron Jones is missing time is what okay. I mean.
0: I, I would bet bet you dollars to donuts that he's missing time. Um, that that MCL sprain is going to I don't think they're rushing it back from that. There, there's no re- like what are they playing for?
1: <laughs> you know, like Right. Nothing. Absolutely yeah. nothing. And um, the other thing that, or one thing that I thought was sort of notable here was that even as David Montgomery comes back, Gibbs is still, uh, he's still got the 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 one A share t- uh, touches. So if I just look at this week, he's on the field for fifty eight percent of snaps, uh, and, and and as he was last week too. So I I guess unless David Montgomery has further to come back from injury, um. I don't we're not going back to the way we were before I guess no. Montgomery is going to still be the the goal line and back the predominant goal line back not all the time but this this this, this is a pretty uh it's a pretty 50 50 split with uh Gibbs being the the, the top end of the split. Yep. Yeah. Very, very well put.
0: And like you like to say, uh, you know, the genie is out of the bottle. You, you can't put the genie back in the bottle on Jameer Gibbs. And so one one thing that I'm looking at is like kind of a, a niche uh, usability thing here is if I ever see a DFS slate where the two Lions running backs are cheap combined, like not, you know, Gibbs could be expensive and Montgomery's cheaper or Montgomery expensive, Gibbs cheaper. How it'll likely be going forward is that Gibbs ends up being priced higher than Montgomery. Um, I think you probably need like one or two more weeks to get a situation like I'm describing. But if you ever get a spot where they're both cheap enough, I'm really, really excited to play both. I actually, uh, I was talking about this with some people this week, but the Miami backfield situation, they were just a hair too expensive this week for me to do it. But I think if you, between the two of them, it was like Mostert was 6,600 and a Chan was sixty or most of it was 69 and a channel was 66. I want to say if between the two of them, they're about a thousand less. I think that's cheap enough where you play them both and you get a really, really interesting spot because you're almost none of the field is going to play both of them. And so if you happen to catch one of those, you know, lightning in a bottle weeks where they're right. Like really against going Broncos. Exactly. You're, you're going to shoot up the leaderboard. So I'm really interested in backfields like that, where, the backfield can take all of the scoring for the week and, and the team will still be moving the ball and productive on offense. It's not just, Oh, they ran that piss out of the ball. Like the Falcons want to, and they only scored two touchdowns. Like I'm looking for like the four or five kind of touchdown games where the backs get
1: right. I, all of them or all of them, but one. And so, so, so just to, just to, to, to put a fun, I'm an even more actionable point on this. So, the the lines are on the turkey ball slate and so then these sort of short slates are where it can make sense to to play boat running back so gibbs is 6800 Mon- montgomery is 6300 so we have a slate where gibbs is more expensive and um, i i feel i feel like the the cat is out of the bag a little bit in terms of like people understand that you can p- play both running backs in Showdown and ne- never mind I, I, that Showdown and uh, these sort of true game slates. But yeah, on the shorter slate, I think you gain less
0: from it. Um, but the way that I would probably do it for this, you know, the three game Thanksgiving slate is play both of the Detroit running backs um, and then just not have any other Lions on my team. And I'm really searching for that absolute ceiling outcome where the backs take all of the touchdowns um so that's that's probably how i would do it but again i think the benefit you're getting from that is a little diluted um than what it would be on a full slate where you're going to get so much less of the field willing to play both running backs right it's it's not going to be an
1: unpopular
0: build right right i had one other guy that i think we need to talk about here um zach charbonnet looks like he could be you know an end of season kind of hammer here with uh with Kenneth Walker dealing with that you know what what's been described as you know a potentially serious abdominal injury um by Pete Carroll you know you might end up with Charbonnet getting the vast majority of the work going forward and he's uh I kind of want to it's it feels weird to compare him to another rookie um because we just don't have a huge sample on either of these guys. But I kind of look at him in the same vein as Roshan Johnson, where they're both these, like, they're more like your classic workhorse type backs where they do everything well, but they're not great at any one thing. Um, And they're they're big bodied. They're like they would be able to carry the full load if their offense wants to give it to them. And so I'm really interested in Charbonnet going forward. And by extension, I am a little interested in Roshan just with the injury uh, to Deontay Foreman. Um, Obviously, Charbonnet is in a much better spot because, you know, now that Ken Walker's gone, he's he's clearly the lead guy. And with Roshan, you know, you still got him behind Herbert. Um, But anyway, just uh, Charbonnet, definitely a a good one to keep an eye on going forward. Certainly interesting.
1: Yeah. Um, I think the the sentiment doesn't seem to be that Kenneth Walker is just done. Um, So I I, I think you probably still get – you you probably still get in terms of season-long stuff. uh, Not that he's going to be a waiver pickup, but – the consensus is probably more towards like a sort of spot start rather than like a, a total, uh, end of the season, every game guy. And uh, so, but, so, but with, with these injuries, especially with the Seahawks, you never know what the, re- how good the reporting is, how accurate it, it is. So, um, that, I guess that want to see Walker come back, but that could be upside, uh, for the rest of the way for Charbonnet.
0: I uh I wanted to ask you about Javante Williams role going forward, because the previous game it kind of looked like it was starting to be wheels up for Javante and that he might just run away and dominate the backfield and really squeeze out P Ryan and Jaleel McLaughlin. Um but in this last game we saw P Ryan super involved in the passing game. Um and
1: you know, if right. you were... the 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 true down uh passing down and this, this, and stuff went to P Ryan. Yeah. And, and so I'm wondering,
0: how do you feel about Javante going forward? Do you think that last game was more indicative of what we're going to see for the rest of the season that somewhere in between the last two games? What,
1: how, how do you feel about that? And um, so I think that it's, it's hard. It's honestly really hard to tell game to game with how these uh how these running backs are gonna are be used because it' it it does seem very situational here where if you have a if you have a game where there's lots of clear uh it's lots of clear passing down back work that do- P Ryan does seem to be that guy for him but then on the other hand you, you can you can get games where there isn't there isn't that sort of like hurry up get back in the game stuff, but a running back can still get very involved in the passing game. So I, I, I think it is one of those things where it's still going to be uh, uh, volatile week to week. I think that the backfield is, is, is I, I think and I, you had a good read on this early in the season where a, a lot of this offense does run through the, uh, the running backs where even in the, even in the passing game, they are targeting the running backs at a really high rate and then their running backs are, 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 uh, they're also getting a uh, good, uh, good sort of goal line stuff. So I guess I, I'm, I'm thinking more that, and, and maybe this is wishy-washy I'm, I'm thinking more that you, you, you probably will get weeks where Javante gets a really high percentage of the stuff, um, but it, it, it has that volatility element where, when there's like, uh, hurry up stuff and, 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 and two minute drill stuff that they are going to get P run involved there. So do you think it'd be fair to say that
0: in games where the Broncos get out to a lead and, and they're having a lot of success running it, those are the games where you'd be most likely to see like a big game from Javante. Yeah. Yeah yeah i I, th- I think that's fair uh quick honorable mention deandre swift had a great game i didn't get to watch uh almost all of that game because i was uh you know trying to avoid Drico's assassination attempt um with my, <laughs> my plane delay but uh you know swift swift put up a good game there um you know from what i i saw from highlights and things like that guy still looks explosive um you know, saw a little screen pass late in the fourth quarter from what I got to watch live. And, uh, yeah, he just he looks like a really exciting back. You know, definitely someone that can deliver those spike weeks. Um, you know, certainly as we start to transition towards playoff basketball, that's one where, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very interested in DeAndre Swift for that format. Um, and then the last guy I wanted to talk He's about. He's clearly before. one of their best players. Yeah. Yep. 100%. Um, and just, man, I I know that, I know people like the lions. I know they're fun to root for. I know we like Dan Campbell. Like I like Dan Campbell. I think the lions are still the the lions are, they're doing a lot of stuff, right? But man, if they could just plug these leaks of doing stupid shit with their draft capital and like getting rid of their best players, because like, man, can we, can we get like some, (laughs) some like relationship mediator? into the lions to like fix these relationships with some of their best players where like someone, someone gets off on the wrong foot with someone and they're just dead to the team. Like I feel like the lions have lit so much talent on fire over the last couple of years where they would be such a stronger team if they had been able to manage their roster better. Um, and who knows, I, I might just you know not be privy to the uh, locker room dynamics and what have you, but I just, I kind of see what the Lions have done with their roster where they're getting rid of, you know, really quality players for basically nothing and spending extremely high draft capital on players to replace them. And just like, right. Gee, what if, what if we had
1: the not... roster management of going from Gibbs to Swift, I'm sorry, Swift to Gibbs yeah. was, was particularly poor. Yeah. It's pretty, and just, pretty just, to, just to close the loop a little bit on my last comment, and I'm looking at the, wrote of his um, sort of pace tool and so in week eleven the broncos had 18 plays where uh, they were trailing by seven or more and 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 then week nine or ten they didn't have any so, uh, often offensive plays obviously um so to me that that's a pretty extreme difference and, and, yeah. and that's where you're seeing that volatility that's a that's a great
0: call out very uh very sharp analysis there Draco. glad glad for you to uh, to point that one out my my last guy that I wanted to touch on before we move to the next chart uh, was just Tony Pollard. Uh, you know, decided to give us just enough to remain an enigma for us. You know, is Tony Pollard dust? Is Tony Pollard back? Still, nobody knows. And I, I kind of, I'll be interested to see the Tony Pollard price in playoff basketball. That that's going to be another really interesting one to me. Um, it's really going to yeah the the whole cowboys offense is going to be very very interesting in playoff basketball i think you can get some pretty cool stuff there um and we'll I'll, I'll tease that we may be discussing that over at legendary upside and uh and how you can sort of take this strategy and apply it to playoff basketball going forward but that was the last thing i had for this chart did you have anyone else you wanted to touch on before you move on draco
1: no no more than happy to uh, keep it moving and so now we have the, the same chart, but it's the uh, it's the backups, uh, and again we're we're sort of looking at who who uh, for backups is playing a high percentage of snaps on average over the last four weeks. Uh,
0: I just kind of want to speed run this one. Um, yeah, I mean we know we know Jalen Warren has had you know some pretty explosive games lately. He had a a big breakaway touchdown run that contributed to a large amount of his. Fantasy production this last week, um, you know, he's looking exciting. And with Matt Canada getting fired, you wonder if the offense could potentially take a step forward. I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, other, you know, Khalil Herbert coming back from injury, looking like a pretty good spot there with the backfield potentially consolidating to just him and Roshan. Um, if Donte Foreman were to miss more time, um, you've got Gus Edward, the the Ravens backfield is starting to become a little bit more clear in that Justice Hill is losing work to Keaton Mitchell and has has squarely moved into you know not fantasy usable territory. Right, you and, drop him. Yeah, it's not usable. R.I.P. My Justice Hill bags. They seemed so good at uh, Week One, but uh, alas, Justice Hill continues to uh,
1: to taunt me. Um, so the other one, the one I want to point out to here is that Ty Chandler. Uh, even if you just look at last week, week eleven alone, still only playing at thirty one percent of the uh, of the snaps for the team. So he he's definitely he's he's not a one B, but he's definitely like a backup with a role, which is a lot better than he was at the start of the season. And and you're happy, you're very happy with that if you got him, and um, sort of early in draft season in 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 the last few rounds, but. Um, and, and, and we're, we're at, we're still starting them in, in stat chasing FFBC, but uh, e- even with the points that you got, and um, just, I, I guess just to call it out, be, don't get too excited um, because th- the snap share definitely, uh, it, right now, it's not indicative of, of sort of like what he, why he's at, what he scored and, 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 and. and I guess him playing well can always push him up more, but he's not there yet on a snap basis. That's that's the only note that I would have on that. That he looks very
0: good. You know, he he clearly yeah. looks like the best back. Um yeah. and it's not like, oh well Madison does some things better and Chandler does some things better. Like Madison looks like all around the better player. And so you you know, I, I kind of look at this as like how rookies come on later in the season typically. Well, now Chandler's finally getting his run. And so if we can kind of look at these weeks as like his run up and ramp up period to a larger role, I wouldn't be surprised to see Ty Chandler be the guy that you need in one of the uh the playoff weeks for best ball.
1: So I think they they were using him in pass blocking in sort of key situations at the end of the game. And I did see one where he just got blown. <laughs> up like and 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 it was like a bad play for the offense and so i i guess that 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 gives me a little bit of concern that like how much are they going to pass them on on passing down stuff but it's um like you said um madison is not good and 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 ty chandler is explosive so you, you just sort of hope that they see that and they lean into it
0: yeah and my my last ty chandler note we, uh, you know, everyone gave Evan Silva crap for the Madison, uh, touting over the summer, mm-hmm. but I-, I want people to remember, he also had Ty Chandler way up in the rankings. He, he, would, did. he was kind of the first, uh, you know, on the Ty Chandler frontier, really, really pumping him up and, uh, Hey, he, he was correct on, on the Ty Chandler call. So I think, uh, think we need to put, put one in the W column for Evan Silva there on the, the early Ty Chandler.
1: Man so, just uh, does not get enough wins. We got it. We got to shout him out on stock chasing. <laughs> uh, that was everything
0: from the backup chart. Oh, I, yeah. slight interest in Ezekiel Elliott this week against the shitty New York Giants with Ramondre, you know, potentially not at full strength with the back injury. I know that he he got cleared and the, the back injury looks to be minor, but you never know maybe uh maybe Zeke gets a little bit more of the of the touches this week and that Giants defense is not very formidable so maybe this is your vintage Ezekiel Elliott game where he falls into the end zone twice and is fantasy relevant
1: and makes that that definitely seems like a possibility
0: except for the Patriots will never be anywhere near the end zone twice. They might get near the end zone once.
1: Um, So he could fall in once. (laughs) (laughs) So now we have the third of our four uh, running back charts, and and this is expected points and efficiency. And we have uh, rushing expected points and receiving expected points. And then the size of the bubble is a a course of bonds to their points over expected And, and two notes that I like to make on this chart is one, uh, we have this split up into two charts. We often get comments, oh, hey, so-and-so isn't on your chart, how come? Um, we split it up because if you put them all onto the same chart, it just gets so bunched together. And so we have it We have it set up so that y- you're getting two readable charts, basically. And a second note is that I, I think is important is that just because it's uh, overexpected, it's it it doesn't always mean that the player played well like good play is almost always efficient and bad play is almost always inefficient but you're also the, you're using the error t- term in in a sort of fantasy football model to correspond to efficiency and so sometimes that's not always quite correct so, so things to be m- mind Th- things like a player scoring
0: a touchdown on an attempt is always going to be something that goes over expected because there's no attempt where a player has a 100% probability of scoring a touchdown. Right. So mm-hmm. every time you actually score a touchdown, you're going to go over expected unless, uh, in- unless uh, you have like six other carries where you didn't score a
1: touchdown where you should have. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. One a couple. And, guys and then I- the other note is, I guess on that is like, Another example of a play where it would be points over expected, but maybe not good. Everybody remembers that um, Austin Eckler run, where he went for 30 of the slowest yards we've ever seen. That that's a that's a, a positive fantasy play, points over expected play, and um, but is that him playing well? Like, did he get? Did he actually outperform what he should have done on that play? I, I would say no. No. Yeah. That, that should have been a breakaway touchdown. And that one,
0: that was honestly the play that made me the most sad. Um, cause yeah. like I, you, I want to root for Austin Eckler. He's a super cool guy. Like he, he's just, he's one of the good ones, you know, like there's a lot of guys in the league where you're not excited to root for him. Um, but he's, he's one you're, you're happy to root for. And I was just sad cause for me that felt like, okay, that like, this is some pretty strong signal that this guy is, is pretty close Done. to dusted, yeah. So I'll, I'll go ahead and say, like, if Eckler's going really anywhere in the first two rounds next season, I'll probably have, like, very close to zero. And I, I had pretty close to zero this season. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm feeling good about my stand. I'm feeling sad about it, but I feel like it was the correct decision. Indicated. In, in the game that we play, yeah. Um, first, First guy I wanted to call out, He's like one of my favorite players to talk about on this chart. I've mentioned him many times. But Brees Hall, you can see, is is getting so much more of his expected points um, from the receiving game right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and really what you're looking at, if you watch these Jets games, they're, they've they started to realize we can't move the ball. The offense sucks. Zach Wilson sucks. Um, I'll go go back to the previous chart. Um, oh, yeah. Uh- Mind bad. You're you're good. Um, and, and so they've really started dialing up these little screen passes to Brees, or these little like late release dump off type passes to him. In in the last in this last game this weekend, I saw at least two times where Zach Wilson failed to execute a screen pass. That now now listen, like I'm going to go ahead and say like I can't do anything that any of these guys on an NFL field can do. But I actually think that in these two screen passes that this guy fucked up, I could have gone out there and gotten the ball to Brees. I would have gotten blown up. I would have died. You know, like I'm I'm hundred percent dead after taking a hit, but they were just, it was the stupidest fucking absolute no ability to process, you know, the, the game going on around you that I've ever seen from a quarterback on an NFL field where it's, it's exactly what you want from a screenplay. Like, Everyone on the defense is in the backfield. All you need to do is just like lay it up over the top of the defenders. It's not like this. Sometimes the screen gets blown up, right? Where the Mm -hmm. defenders pick up on what's going on. Someone's hugging Brees Hall. They're not going to let, he's just not getting this, right? Right. But that wasn't the case. Like they had a convoy downfield for him ready to go. Brees is wide ass open with no one next to him. And Zach Wilson is doing this little like double clutch. I'm not sure if I should throw this or not bullshit and taking a sack or like throwing the ball away on what should be. I mean, one of them looked like to me, like this is a breeze house call, which was especially right. tilting as someone for someone who was sitting there with two dog bowl teams that would have catapulted into the top three with a, a long breeze touchdown there. So I think going forward um, with Tim
1: Boyle, Boyle in, but, in, in the seat. All you need, you
0: don't need much at all. Can my my biggest question is is Tim Boyle more capable of executing a screen pass than Zach Wilson? That's literally all I need. Um, and, and I would say that Brees has the ability to. I don't think his expected fantasy points will increase very much. Um, but I think that you could see his efficiency increase substantially because he's he's a home run player. You know, you're just you just need to get him the opportunities to hit that home run. Um. Especially I did this see that uh,
1: Tim Boyle the last time he had a season where he threw more touchdowns than interceptions was high school. He never had a good college season.
0: Yeah, he hasn't looked great. Um, so you know, with this iteration of the Jets' offense, where their offensive line is in shambles, they have no, they have nothing approaching like you know competent NFL quarterback play. You know, you're really just hoping for can can the quarterback actually deliver the running back the ball
1: on third right. downs for Brees Hall? How much worse than Zach Wilson can he be? He can't exactly, yeah. And, and and hopefully he's 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 marginally better.
0: Other guys I wanted to call out on this chart. I mean, we talked about Gibbs, but yeah, he's he's looking really strong going forward. Um, I would expect as we get a couple more of these games to fall off, like the ones where Gibbs had some some just monster usage. Um, like the Ravens game comes to mind, where he just had an absurd, absurd amount of usage. I bet we see him land just behind this 20 expected fantasy points. He'll be in the top tier of this 15 to 20 expected fantasy points range. I think that's probably where he truly lies and how he finishes out the season. But, you know, one of the better fantasy running backs to have looking really, really strong. And then So,
1: um, if you just look at week 10 and 11... He's uh, he's he's still at twenty point eight over the last two weeks expected points a game. Okay. Yeah,
0: I I definitely. I don't know
1: if that's I don't know if that carries forward, but definitely bullish. Yeah, I, I cer-
0: certainly not wanting to uh, to throw any cold water on Jameer Gibbs, but uh, yeah, I, I just think with how he how he finishes on this chart, he'll probably come down just a tiny bit, but I I would not be surprised at all for him to hover right around that 20 expected fantasy point number. Um, But you know who he's right next to is the guy that we brought up that no one's putting respect on his name is Rashad white. Like, I mean, you you poo poo it all you want, but like the role is just so good that, you know, Rashad white is going to get his. So um, I'm just, I'm, I'm past the point of, you know, being out on Rashad white. Like the role is there. Give me Rashad White. I'll, I'll happily bank the level of consistency that he's given you week in and week out.
1: Yeah, yeah, especially uh, especially at, at discounts. Like I, I, I don't. I'm not. The, I'm not like drafting him in the fifth round next year or anything like that. Which is where I think his his role profile that someone he should be taking him in like the fourth or fifth round. But in 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 week to week stuff, and you're getting like a big discount. it, it it's a no-brainer.
0: Yeah, I I think the way that I want to play the Bucks backfield next season, um, you know, provided not too much changes there. Say Baker's still the quarterback, Canals is still the offensive coordinator, Rashad White's still on the roster, and you know, you got a couple of the other running backs that are currently on the roster still there. If they add any kind of rookie talent at the running back position that I'm excited for, um, and, and you can get them, you know, relatively cheap. I'm gonna hit that pretty hard, um, and if Rashad White's expensive, like if he's in that that true kind of dead zone, it, it you know to me it seems like if he was going in the fourth and fifth round this season, we wouldn't we wouldn't be talking about him so so fondly. He still would be doing fine, um, but it's it's because he was going in you know the eighth ninth round that makes him so good for this season.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. I, I, agreed, agreed. And um, just um, I, I guess just just a note that like there's a I, I'm just trying to note that there's a difference between somebody's like uh, over a long term season uh, and profile versus like game to game. Like you you can feel pretty good about Rashad White's um, role game to game. And, and, and probably for the rest of the year now that we have the the sample that we do but he, he i i think he still profiles as somebody where you know that could easily all go away yeah absolutely he's uh he's what i've i've heard people refer to as a, a churn
0: back in the NFL. he there's nothing all that special about him um you know he's he's just a placeholder until a, a more talented running back comes along on the roster and takes his job and so. If no one's there to take his job next season, then you can you probably take him with at least some degree of confidence that he'll have a good role again. Um, you know, all other things remaining consistent. But uh, if you get anyone that looks like they might be able to push him uh, from a talent perspective, that's that's where I'm gonna go elsewhere.
1: Okay, so that's uh let's move on to our last uh running back chart. Anybody here stick out to you that that we haven't sort of? I, uh, I'm like a little interested.
0: In, so this guy's been trending in the wrong direction for the last few weeks, but I'm wondering if potentially this week. Um, I think it really depends on the quarterback situation on his team. But Alvin Kamara, you know, we saw he came out of the gate just extremely hot. You know, never never had good rushing efficiency even in his first couple weeks back, but was just having such an insane role in the receiving game with Derek Carr cap and checkdown. Now you've got Carr injured. It's uncertain if he's going to play this week or not. If it's Jameis, I think I'm pretty out on Kamara just because Jameis is, uh he, he's just going to sling it, man. He, he's not about that check down life. Um, but if you get Carr coming off of an injury where he might be even a little more timid than usual, I, I could see, you know, this being one of those like Kamara gets 13 targets type of week uh the other thing on the other side of the coin with respect to kamara say that car is out how do you feel about Taysom hill this week for fantasy and what format let's first let's talk about a format where you can play him as a tight end and
1: so you're talking about jamis is playing and yeah, uh, you can you, you can you have to play Taysom as a tight end. Yep. And, I mean, he's not terrible. It, it it that really does depend on on who else is there on there on the slate too. And so I I mean, he's always going to be in play for two or three touch for a two or three touchdown game. So when he's cheap with low ownership, like he's he's worth a play, but um. I I definitely like playing real tight ends over Taysom Hill. Yeah,
0: for me, if it's Jameis playing this week, um, I just I think that the Saints staff knows what Jameis is. They know that this dude is going to get out here and just absolutely rip it and sling it with reckless abandon. And I I've got a just got a hunch that if they get in close, you know, in the green zone. It's not going to be Jameis taking snaps there. Like they don't they don't want gunslinger Jameis down there taking risks when they're in close when they have a weapon that they know. I mean they they've been deploying Taysom with Derek Carr down there, and I I think right you, you he's
1: just, a good offensive weapon or actually red zone weapon.
0: Yeah. So and, and and also they've been showing that they're not as confident in Kamara's rushing ability. You know Jamal Williams has been doing nothing. Kenry's injured, so I, I think you could get one of the true you know full-on utility games from Taysom, where he you know rushes six times catches three passes and throws a couple passes i so like in a in a large field gpp i'm probably gonna come in extremely overweight Taysom. um i i really like the game environment too um so just that was that was my note on kamara and that whole saints situation there
1: yeah it makes makes sense for sure Makes sense for sure. And I do like seeing, even though my, I had that note about Ty Chandler, um, his snap share not being great, it does look like even though the snap share is low, he is getting the ball quite a lot when he's on the field, uh, which, which is helpful. So... Um, like do like seeing him being at uh, over ten expected points despite like only playing a third of the snap and, and some players are like that where I, I guess it caps their upside a little bit that they're not trust, trusted when they're not getting the ball but this despite getting a low snap share uh, getting the ball when they are on the field so maybe may, maybe maybe a little bit better than uh, than I, I was sort of uh, talking about earlier. the uh i mean this
0: this isn't really terribly fantasy relevant or actionable i'm not going to tell anyone stuff they don't know but is christian mccaffrey is now the only running back that would be live to put up a
1: true legendary season is that uh pretty pretty correct yeah i think so i think we're we're definitely in play for like one of those weird uh running back years yeah it's just yeah i mean the way that it's ran out
0: this year is you pretty much wanted to just never draft a running back. You know, you just, you wanted to take them, you know, almost as late as possible. Yeah. Only when absolutely necessary. And, you know, partially that's because this year was a little bit of an aberration, but I think in general, this year is really illustrative of the whole thesis of going heavy at wide receiver, which is a much more talent driven position than running back, which is a much more volume-driven position, and and just relying on the chaos of the season to get you what you need at running back. And, so uh, yeah.
1: the the lead the, the points leaderboard for running back is is honestly shocking. So CMC number one, he's gotten that uh, twenty points a game PPR. Number two is Raheem Mostert. <clears throat> number three, Travis Etienne. Four, Brian Robinson. Gus Edwards, like Kenneth Walker, Josh Jacobs, Darnell Swift, David Montgomery, who's missed like many games. Number ten is at Zach Moss. Like <laughs> running back is just unplayable
0: this season. Like, <laughs> honestly, people. Have been I could keep going, about, people, but I, that gives you a flavor. People have talked about abolish the tight end position for fantasy football. I'm going to be the first one to say it. Abolish running back. Don't make me play these guys. It's just <laughs> give me give me wide receiver leagues with flex. Like, give me give me three wide receiver spots I got to fill and three flex spots I got to fill. Like, don't make me draft any running backs if I don't want to.
1: Um, like, Zach Moss, or be 10 on the year.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it, I mean, and just that, you know, that kind of distribution really shows you why the teams that spent so little in running back capital are successful because none of the early running backs are, are beating you. Like it doesn't matter. You could have, you know, someone putting up, you know, next to no points is going to be like RB 15. If you got some usable weeks, it's just, it's crazy. Um, and, And you're not gaining anything from the capital that you spent early at the position. So It'll be really interesting to see how this uh, the best ball playoff shake out, because I think what this kind of distribution is going to lead to is you're going to have pretty spread out ownerships for running back when we get into the best ball playoffs. And so it's going to be really, really interesting to see, you know, if that ultimately consolidates, um, you know, when we get to the finals or, or how that shakes out. Or if you if you get these, you know, dominant CMC games in the fantasy playoffs, it might just be like a no CMC, no money kind of year. So really, really interested to see how that shakes out. I did want to touch on Travis Etienne, who you mentioned at the top of that list. We've seen he's had, you know, two less than great games recently here. One against the 49ers with a really strong defensive performance coming off their bye. And then last week where Trevor Lawrence hogged all the touchdowns, but he's, he looks to be getting a little less work recently. Um, And it's, it's more so just because I feel like they finally realized that tank Bigsby, they got bamboozled by the name tank. And that this isn't an NFL player in the slightest. Um, And they need to use Dearness Johnson, who is an NFL player. He's, he's a backup running back, but he's actually an NFL backup running back. Tank Bigsby is like, you know, uh, a practice squad kind of guy. So right. Um, I'm, I'm a little concerned. I know that you and I have both been really high on ETN, but a big part of that was how elite his role was. And I think- Right, and course, how bad his backup was. Yeah, we're starting to see enough of that get siphoned away that in my kind of like tiering of the running backs, I think I'm moving ETN down a tier- this is a a comparison that I wanted your opinion on that I was, I was kind of thinking about here. Jonathan Taylor and ETN go very close in the dog bowl this week. Who would you prefer to take um, just in a vacuum? You're on the clock. It's near the, you know, yeah, right. That's what I'm saying. like going away, right. The, the role is so much. And the funny thing is Zach Moss is probably a better player than Darrenus Johnson. Yeah. Um, but the Colts are like, nope, we paid JT a bunch of money, so we got to give him the rock. And yeah, I, I think I think we might get a couple nuclear JT games here to close out the season. It just kind of looks like it's getting – they're going to give him the opportunity to do it. So now we're just going to see, does, does JT have that in the tank to, to deliver one of his classic blow-up games with a couple breakaway plays? And I, I firmly believe that he's got that in the tank.
1: So, one, uh, one thought about this, uh, and, and maybe I'm just wrong, is that the last two weeks have been sort of blowout games in either direction for the Jaguars. So, that, that may be, like, mixing up the um, the, the, the usage stuff, but I, I, I think you're definitely directionally right where the role for... Uh, for Travis Etienne, smaller than it was prior to the buy, but maybe it's a little bit bigger than it has been uh, the weeks eleven and ten. I think I think
0: that's a great call out, and you've you've had a couple points like that uh, today, which I think is some of the most valuable analysis that we can do in in this game with such small samples. Is looking at the context with which we got a data point, like why did this happen? Um, you know, really, really getting more granular on it and understanding where that specific piece or point of data came from. And so I just, you know, for everyone out there that's, you know, wants to think critically about the game and be really process driven, I think that's definitely a really strong note is to think about it in the way that Drico has has done today, where he's pointed out a couple things or, hey, you know, this, this definitely looks like it could be a trend, but here's maybe a little bit of a reason for the aberration that we've seen over these last couple games compared to the rest of the sample we have over the season. And so maybe the truth lies somewhere right in between. And so I just wanted to point that out. It's good, good process.
1: Thank you. That's very nice of you to say. (laughs) So, um, I think, I think, are are we ready to move on from this one? Yeah. Let's, let's hit tight ends here. Uh, 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 Talking about process, I need to get my zooming process a little better. So we've got our tight end utilization and efficiency chart. And essentially, we're just looking at routes as a percentage of dropbacks. And then we do have pass blocking in here too, because we want to see how often they're on the field. And it also gives us a flavor of how they're used when they are on the field for passing yeah, and downs. We've got targets per run. Obviously, we love targets. And we've got a dot, which tells us how deep down the field tight ends are targeted. And as a rule, we generally prefer uh, further down the field targets. But it's um, it's it's more of an art than a science. Like you don't want, like you don't necessarily want a tight end with like a fifteen a dot, and um, because that, that that that's like not not necessarily representative of a, of a true sort of workhorse eater but uh, definitely the closer towards 10 the better i would say yeah
0: um and so there's been a tiny bit of a shake-up near the top of the chart not that you know anyone that wasn't near the top ha- has emerged but just kind of the order of guys as we again we're looking at these as like a rolling four weeks um and so what we've seen here is Cade otten refuses to ever come off the field for the Bucs you know he's out there the whole damn game and uh you know he's not he he had the one spike week game where he he randomly got the two touchdowns against the Texans but the reason I'm I'm talking about Kate Otten is specifically for this week's slate on you know the dog bowl or like the main slate VRs you probably actually you're probably never taking in the main slate VRs, but uh, mm-hmm. in the dog bowl, tight end is so thin this week. There's like a couple good ones at the top. It's like Kelsey, and then you have other you know a few other usable ones. You know you've got your your Schultz, you've got your Trey McBride, you've got your Evan Ingram. Um, but then after those that tier of guys, it's just there's no one. Like you, you're going to have teams that end up with you know Chigo Conquo or. Tyler Higby or, you know, like those are going to be tight ends that get drafted in 100% of drafts because of how bad the back end of the tight end tier is. And so Kate Otten goes in that group and uh, he shouldn't be going there. I, I mean, like he should be in that tier, but he's just like clearly the best one. And uh, I think that in a week where you have so few good tight ends on the slate. I think you really want to place a premium in a guy that is much less likely to totally goose you because he's out there all the time. He's getting targets every week. He's not going to do anything terribly sexy or exciting. You're, you're praying for like a three for 30 and he falls in the end zone outcome, right? But like he he's not going to totally brick you like some of these other tight ends can. And I really like the game environment that he's in too. And just the the way that the quarterback distribution looks like it's shaping up this week as well. It's like there's good quarterbacks and then there's just like 50 feet of crap and then the other quarterbacks. And Baker also goes pretty late. So I think that you can do some really good builds where you're doing like a Baker double with like Mike Evans, Kate Otten, Baker Mayfield. And then you find a bring back from Indy that's, you know, Pittman has an incredible role and he's undervalued in, in his ADP. For what his target share has been, and then Josh Downs as well, just for his, from a talent perspective, where he goes, he's also being undervalued, and, and from a game environment. So, wanted to shout out Otten, and then
1: the I, other- I guess just one uh, one sort of context or, or framing note on on Otten is I'm looking at his uh, the now we don't show this in the chart, but I'm looking at his like expected points per game. So that obviously it incorporates all the targets, all the stuff like that. And, and, and what his expected points per game would be. It's 8.4 in PPR, which t- is not awful. It, it, it's just not awful at all, and um, which is sort of how you were talking about him, but is a, is sort of worth noting that um, you, you, you do need a, a bit of a ceiling game to, to, to really get on the board with him. Yeah,
0: and, and what I'm looking at Uh, at him as this weekend dog bowl is I'm looking at him as an extremely correlated bet on the bucks passing game with Baker Mayfield, which allows me to just go heavy on the skill position players early in the draft and really soak up all of that value that I see there with guys like Josh Jacobs. Like I I honestly would even consider like a Rashad white, Kate Otten, Mike Evans, Baker Mayfield, give me one Colt to bring it back, play it as a full game onslaught because the slate is kind of yucky. Um, like, I, I don't think I'd do a ton of that, but if it fell to me, I I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't say I'm never going to do it. Like Right,
1: that. right. Like there's only, uh, there's only 10, 10 games on the slate. So uh, on the main slate. Uh, and so you're, you're only getting 20 tight, end, 20 starting tight ends anyway, between 12 people. In, in a dog bowl draft. So it's like you're saying it, it it's it's pretty tin. So especially in, as like the sort of last guy and or last round stuff, it that, that that's why you're interested. But ju- just as a sort of statistical framing on his on his profile. Yeah. And the other
0: one that I wanted to point out, um again, this is really just specifically for, for dog bowl. And the reason I'm I'm kind of using the tight end chart in this context is I don't think there's a ton of stuff that we haven't already talked about in the past, right? It's like most of these guys are what they are. So if I, I want to give you guys some usable nuggets. Um, and, and so I do really think that Hunter Henry is the next best thing, um, to Kate Otten in that last tier of tight ends playing against the giants, bad defense, uh, the Patriots passing weapons are extremely, extremely thin coming off the buy. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see hunter henry more involved uh he he had been dealing with an injury and so i i think you know giving him a little bit of extra time to get fully healthy maybe we see him you know emerge with one of his more uh, more vintage hunter henry games gets in the end zone um i i always uh i've got a inside joke with my wife who's a patriots fan and uh you know, back when they, they got rid of Gronk, everyone was sad. There's no more Gronk on the Patriots. And then they got Hunter Henry. And I would always tell her that Hunter Henry was Gronk at home from the mom, can we get <laughs> and, No, we we have Gronk at home. And that's Hunter Henry. So whenever he pops off, he's Gronk at home. That was a, that was a very niche joke. I'm, I'm sure like 10
1: people are going to get that. So <laughs> No, I, I think that's a popular enough meme. Uh, All right. So yeah I, I guess there's there's nothing really uh, else to share and um, do do like to see michael Meyer as sort of like he, he's he's definitely firmly in the starter chart, starting tight to tight end chart now um but i guess we we that doesn't mean as much now um with how the uh how the raiders have been playing um so ho- hopefully he can sort of continue to consolidate and and, and maybe yeah uh, maybe get a couple more targets on for ret right run stuff, but n- definitely feeling. Uh, I I think he he's probably a tier below those guys that we just talked about, right?
0: Yeah, I just I think it's it's such a crapshoot. I think that if he gets the volume, it'd be great. Um, I I'm right. just like not. I don't have enough. He's space. just not
1: getting the volume.
0: Yeah. Speaking of guys not getting the volume, can I can I ask you one and you tell me if it's too gross? So, I've got a lot of these. I have these three quarterbacks projecting for very very close in fantasy points. So that's uh, Baker Mayfield, Gardner Minshew, and Matt Stafford. Now, it looks pretty likely that Cup is going to miss this week, from what I'm seeing. Right. But what do you think about Tyler Higbee?
1: Um, that sounds interesting and um, especially i mean probably less interesting on uh on underdog stuff where it's like half ppr and uh, my brain is uh, is set to sort of ffpc mode so i'm thinking like oh wow he's gonna get lots of catches or he could get lots of catches that could be 20 points and um, i i guess may, may, maybe as a maybe he's probably in those the same tier as those guys that we just mentioned, M- maybe maybe he's at the bottom of of, of the tier b- before them or ahead of them. Okay. That, yeah, I just, that that that's my
0: lean anyway. I just needed your validation. I've already drafted him, so I needed to tell <laughs> me that I
1: wasn't an idiot. Um, I I, I assume that was enough validation, even if it was if it was faint. Yeah, no, that was plenty. I feel I'm gonna sleep like a baby
0: on my Matt <laughs> Stafford, Puka Dekua, Tyler Higby double stack. <laughs>
1: Um, so let's, uh, let's move on, um, on the backups and I, I, I have a pretty short tr- trigger finger to, 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 get to the next one here. I, I was going to say, and we're done with the backups. <laughs> right. This is a, this is a cruel joke that, that sound played on me, um, that I'm still hoping to live true. The backup. Yeah, I talent. think, uh, yeah.
0: in- I think where the backup chart can be useful. Just this is, we're gonna do a little stat chasing meta discussion here, guys. You're gonna see how the sausage is made. Early season, I think we should have the backup chart. I feel like halfway through the season next year, we just nix the back. Once, once things kind of like crystallize,
1: we nix it. I agree. Like let's uh, let's have a look at it before each week before we decide not to use it. But yeah, uh, assuming that there's nobody there popping, and uh, just just could it. Yep. And so, now we're onto the wide receivers. We've got what uh, weighted targets per out run. We've got fantasy points per game. And we've got the route share. And we sort of like loosely described the, the four quadrants of this chart as the studs getting volume, the guys getting volume but not popping in fantasy. So, possible reta- re- regression candidates. We've got The negative regression candidates, guys who are not getting volume, but have scored points. So we're looking for sort of like a negative regression there. And then we have the milk carton guys. These are guys who are running routes, but not scoring points and not getting targets. Another chart that that tends to be pretty stable once we get a couple of weeks in there. But I'm a little bit disappointed is... um, Am I reading this right that that so Zay Flowers um he's in this chart and and his dot is the one just above Terry McLaurin Yeah
0: he uh um Zay I believe is actually the uh he's the yellow dot where Terry is the red dot uh yeah the the little lines are not so clear right there Yeah oh yeah yeah
1: Zay Zay Flowers is is the uh the yellow dot right next to Terry McLaurin's name. Yeah.
0: Yep. And and I think, I mean, now with Mark Andrews being out for the season, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Zay move in the direction that we'd like to see him, you know, up to the, to the right hand quadrant, uh, top right of the chart. Uh, I think Mm -hmm. we certainly could see him get a, a lot more attention in the offense. And, you know, with, uh, with that big 68-yard touchdown play getting called back this week, I do think that that's something where we want to keep that in mind as, hey, he, you know, that should move. It's not going to fix everything. It's not going to take him from, you know, being slightly in the melt carton quadrant to being a stud, but it's going to move him in the right direction. Um, and, and so just wanted to, to have that note. But I'm I'm personally not too worried about Zay Flowers, but I, I think that he's pretty close to where I'd have him in in his peer group. Like you, you see him kind of near in the same neighborhood as Jordan Addison, same neighborhood as Calvin Ridley, right? Chris Godwin, Terry McLaurin. I, I think I think that is what he is in, in this offense. And that's not to say that he couldn't progress next season out out of his rookie season, but I think for, for this season, that's what he is. Do you think that's fair?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. I think um, he was sort of used as, a, as an extension of the running game early in the year. That seems to have gone away a little bit. And uh, he's still, he, I, I feel like he's still probably the favorite, especially with Andrews down, still the favorite for sort of short area targets. Um, but. Like you said, he, he, he will ha- I think he will have to improve true uh, throughout this this season and, and into next season to truly uh, deliver on, on the excitement we had for him. Um moving on, uh, you were talking about the Saints and the possibility that Jamiz would start this week. If that's the case, then Olave is just like live love Olave week, right?
0: hundred percent. It's a guy that, uh, you know, don't don't everyone watching this go out there and screw up Chris Olave's ADP for me. Or if you see me in the streets later tonight, please let me get a couple of Olave shares because I've been trying to get him and I've just landed in areas of the board where I, it's like ah, I'd be taking him a lot earlier over guys. I've got a little higher, um, but I def I, I fully you just intend. have to volunteer you at, at his current ADP. Yeah, I, I fully which int- is
1: around twenty three and a half. Yeah,
0: I intend for my portfolio to be pretty overweight Olave this week in the dog bowl. Um, So yeah, I definitely like that as a call out. Um, Another one, here's this one's silly. And I've seen some of the sharp players uh, getting on this already. Um, But Deontay Johnson goes undrafted. Like that shouldn't, there shouldn't be any guy that's getting 70% weighted targets per route run and running between 95% and 100% of the routes that goes undrafted that's just not right. right like that's fantasy football 101 take take the guys that are getting great projectable volume like and you have yeah. the additional volatility of now we get an offense that's not being called by Matt Canada and when we're playing these games where we need extremely you know we need to hit high yeah. Outcomes like we want that volatility. And so when you're when you're telling me here's a player with a ton of volume and there's a little additional volatility attached to him for this week, it's like and he's going undrafted, it's like sign me up. He'll by I promise when ETR rankings come out, he's gonna scream up the board. It's gonna be really it's it will be comical. Um, so go ahead and get your last round Deontay Johnson now. Um, but that's one where that's, uh, it's just a huge mistake. It, I, I see stuff like this every once in a while in the underdog BRs and it's like, got it. The game is, is really, really good. Like if you're, if you were playing this game seriously, like you, you should be crushing at it. Cause there's, there's stuff like this most weeks where some, it's just the market's really wrong and it takes a while to
1: correct. I am pretty fair. And uh, the other guy, and 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 this is this is a, honestly a tough one to answer. What's the story with Calvin Ridley, where like he's sort of been uh, a ghost uh, for a while now, and then he, he pops off with one of the best games of the week?
0: I I feel like not to to toot my own horn, but I did a a write-up of my best ball exposures, like, right in the middle of week one. I don't think that week one had fully concluded yet, or maybe it was done anyway, and I I wrote up my thoughts on the Jaguars' offense for the season and how I had kind of diagnosed it during draft season, and I said I was pretty confident that it was going to be every receiver and and Evan Ingram in this offense was going to be capable of delivering spike weeks, and it's just going to be, you know, the carousel of whose turn is it. And so I was, I was pretty price sensitive in the head, and I had almost no Ridley after he screamed up. I got a good amount of fourth round Ridley early on, and then had no second round Ridley and and no third round Ridley. Um, and and I, I think that that's just what we're seeing. Like, sure, you've got the the Zay Jones splits. You know, when Zay Jones is in Ridley, <laughs> that's nominating. so funny. And, and I think part of that is noisy. And part of that is is the role that they're asking Ridley to play with and without Zay Jones, but I, I think that we're trying to look we're trying to make it too simple of an answer if we say oh Zay Jones in Ridley smash I right. I it, truly nothing truly, works like that yeah I truly think what it is is it's it's the carousel of you know this offense is good enough that it can deliver explosive weeks from any of these receivers. Like, if if Zay Jones is fully healthy and he keeps playing, I I would not be surprised at all if Zay Jones is the guy you need in in the best ball playoffs. You know, like, it it wouldn't shock me in the slightest to see a 30-point Zay Jones game. So, it's just the nature of this offense. We have three competent receivers and a good quarterback and a competent offense. You know, any of these guys can blow up in any given week, so...
1: Yeah, and then and then there's also the piece where he scored two touchdowns. Um, that his is third on four touchdowns of the year. Like his his targets, it, up his uh, air yards were up there with like 126, um, which is around the upper end of where he's been this year. But he's had one, two, three, four other games. Where he's had over a hundred air, air yards, um, and 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 sort of targets that have been up there in in like eleven, seven, seven, eight, eight. So, I think there's probably some of it that is just touchdown variance too. But it's 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 obviously a case too where, like you said, where you're going to have weeks where one guy is 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 getting all the targets and then the next week. Another guys getting them all. Yep. Sorry, that, that was a long way to the, to ju- just agree with you. But no, no, that's uh, I I was happy to hear you agree with me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't have anything else I really wanted to uh, to touch on here. Uh, no, me neither. I guess I can I can take one more shot at my favorite punching bag of uh, Adam Thielen. Who continues to to do worse than he did on his screaming hot, you know, start to the season? Um, it just it feels so good to see the Adam Thielen slappies not not get there. I you know, I'll uh, I'll be very very happy to see teams with Adam Thielen on them in my playoff pods. So uh, it's just uh, everything feels right in the world, you know. <laughs> you know, he's just going to be lower owned in the playoffs now. He's he's going to be so high owned in the playoffs. Adam Thielen's advance rate is going to be absurd. Just <laughs> what, what he did already is enough to like. Right, he was gone so late. Like, the only the only way his advance rate goes low is he needs like. I mean, yeah, it's not even possible because. In best ball, you're never going to count his bad scores. I was going to say you need him to fumble like 20 times in a game and deliver a huge negative week. But, yeah, it's uh, not not possible. You're going to have a great advance rate if you have Dylan.
1: You know, I am – I'm going to be a little bit contrarian here and say even last week he did have 2.1 yards per right run. I didn't – Yeah. He just didn't score a touchdown – and I guess he's an older player, so it's like it, it, its a question of like, how much can you get his sort of like for him his peak and um, quality output, but it—it's Adam Thielen. He scores touchdowns, so like that 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 could be a thing
0: again. So one one supporting data point. Um, for, for my shitting on Adam Thielen is his, his pass route grade from PFF has been on a pretty steady declining trend for the last few weeks. He was, you know, pretty squarely up in the high seventies and eighties over the first six weeks of the season. Um, and then three weeks ago, he was all the way down at 51. Then two weeks ago, he was at 61 last week did a little better at 71, but you know, I'm, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him still kind of hang around those those lower grades um
1: and are, is are you talking gigantic. about like his uh, his 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 receiving grade from Pff uh it's it's pass route so I believe it's his route running grade from PFF. Uh, okay because oh, that's so weird because uh, maybe we could just be wrong I've got um, or I could just be wrong. I've got them having done thirty-seven dropbacks last week with thirty-six routes for Adam Thielen. Oh, I was
0: I was saying his grade, not uh, not. Oh, his, his grade. grade, his grade. But, yeah. Okay, okay, got it, got it. Yeah, yeah which BFF. is which is very subjective. Like it's it's not a not a stat that I'm going to rely on all the time, but it supported my case that Adam Thielen bad, and so <laughs> that's why we're talking about it.
1: Okay, um, yeah, I, I'm I'm not a, an Adam love a lover eater. Uh, I I just I just I guess, um, he's getting targets, and um, if he scores touchdowns, he's gonna be, it's gonna be score points, I guess.
0: Yeah, I'll uh, I'll wait till he buries me in the playoffs.
1: And <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, let's uh, let's move on from this chart. On to uh, as I say every week, it's the Tyree Kill chart where we just have to. Uh, we've got everybody else, and then we have Tyree Kill at twenty-five points a game, in ninety uh, percent weighted targets per hour run, which um, just far and away, yeah, better than everybody else. Like e- even if if even like the uh, I'm I'm pulling back to the first chart. The first chart doesn't even go up to twenty-five points a game. Yeah, it doesn't even go up. Way to weigh the targets per run of 90%. We have to stretch the second chart out to accommodate uh, Tyreek Hill. So, so here's a
0: fun question knowing what we know now, pretend that you were allowed to get back in it, get in a time machine, and go back to draft a couple best ball teams for the summer. Who are you taking 101 Tyreek Hill or Christian McCaffrey?
1: Um, CMC. Okay. Yeah, I, I and I think it's based on that sort of positional scarcity that we were talking about. Yep. I, I where agree. It's CMC and then clown cars. Yeah, I, I agree. You you basically, if you
0: were doing this time machine exercise, you go back, you draft CMC, and then you just don't draft any other running backs. Like you
1: you, <laughs> you just, just take a zero at yeah, RB two
0: CMC, zero at my RB2, and let <laughs> me have a bunch of wide receivers.
1: Um and then I guess my my only other question and and, and maybe this is Cope stuff, it really has been a sort of disappointing season for Jalen Waddle. But then when I look at his um his weighted targets per run, it's not like he's not getting targeted. It I guess it's weird that he's only on the field seventy five to eighty percent of the game the games. I'd imagine some of that has been from his injuries and stuff like that. Um, but I guess looking at this chart, it, it does feel fair to say that he's a, uh, he's a regression candidate in terms of like his route right share and, and, and sort of touchdowns and, and, um, and, and corresponding points.
0: Yep. I right. good, good call out because that was a guy that I had been looking at and thinking about you know really through the lens of guys that i want to have on my squads uh when i get to the the best while playoffs not that we have any control over it whatsoever but it's just fun to think about and i really i thought of jalen waddle as a guy that i really want to have a lot of get through the playoffs because my my interpretation of you know this somewhat lackluster performance so far this year is you had a a good amount of it marred by injury and then really, when you look back at last season for what made him so good, he kept having these huge explosive plays, right? Breakaway touchdown mm-hmm. run or deep pass that he converts into a touchdown, things like that, um, where you've just really haven't gotten as many of those this season. And I don't think that that's because he all of a sudden got a lot worse. I think the guy's dealt with a little bit of injury and, you know, has maybe run a little bit bad in converting some of the most explosive plays. So I think that what you're looking at here is a player with, you know, he's still got a really high ceiling in his bag of tricks and we just haven't seen a lot of it um, yet this season, but that doesn't mean that that's not available for him. And so that's one of the players where when I see a team get through with Waddle on it, I'm pretty excited for it. And the perspective that I'm, I'm looking at here is, I think the Miami double stacks are probably going to be one of the most valuable thing. I mean, like really a Miami team stack is what you're wanting to have when you get into the playoffs. Like you sneak through a lower owned Jalen Waddle, you know, you get a, an, a Chan who is still probably going to have a pretty good advance rate even after missing so much time. But, uh, you know, if you've got paired with Jalen Waddle, maybe you can, can have a slightly more depressed advance rate on that specific player combo. Um, but yeah, I'm, uh, I think, think those Miami team stacks are certainly going to be interesting.
1: Um, speaking of playoffs, do you think, and, and, and given the fact that you're, you'll be talking about um, the playoff best ball, do you think, it, it seems to me that uh, Miami might be one of those teams in playoff best ball that's sort of undervalued still somehow. Somehow, uttered an entire kill, and going with an ADP of six, and uh, you have a uh, Chua with in nineteen, uh, and then I'm not sure. I'm I'm trying to find Waddle here, but uh, he's I, I I can't find him. So it means he's gone pretty late. He's gone pick twenty eight point seven, and Raheem Moster twenty nine point seven, and uh, Achan twenty three. These all seem like for a team that's, that that seems like a lot to win the division, and but not get the first round by that 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 seems and, and given how explosive their offense has been that that seems inefficient.
0: Yeah, so I I see Miami as ninety three percent to make the playoffs uh, in the playoff simulations that they've got over at Spike Week. Um, and then their one seed probability is just 16%. And so I, I mean, that's like all systems go for me. Right. And uh, Pat and I will, will talk a little bit about the strategy surrounding playoff festival and how you kind of like go down the different game trees when you select your player. But I don't think it's going to be any state secret, um, you know, we can talk a little bit more about the why and how to apply this to the rest of your strategy. But um, Tyreek Hill is going to be probably the best pick overall, I would say, in in the first round based on the rest of the Miami cost. So um, if if that holds. The other thing with playoff best ball is the market is so, so volatile. Um, And again, we, we won't get too into that right here. But it's something where if you have a, a good strategy and you understand how to handle it you can really really exploit it to to put yourself in a pretty advantageous
1: position to make some good money on these contests so so uh, look look out for uh, for leg up uh, playoff and uh, baseball strategy videos where uh, you'll get more e- even more in-depth analysis on 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 other teams other than Miami than that <laughs> Draco with the the elite plug game right there. <laughs> no, oh well, I thought I thought I thought I thought it was a good spot to like, hey, there's your teaser. If you want more, you know where to go.
0: That was great. I mean, you're a you're a seasoned veteran, man. That was, yeah. <laughs> um, other guys on this chart. I had a question for you. So we okay. got Nico Collins and Tank Dell on this chart uh, together. They're they're okay. you know pretty close in fantasy points per game. Obviously, Tank has been the new hotness lately, just absolutely smashing, you know, delivering a huge game this last week. Um, You know, Tank is is at a higher-weighted targets per route run, but not by a ton here. You know, they're still in the same neighborhood. Do you think this flipping of Tank Dell is now the wide receiver one for the Texans and Nico Collins is the wide receiver two, is that accurate in your opinion?
1: So, it, it it's hard to tell with this sort kind of week to week stuff in terms of targets, and uh, because you, you can have you can have weeks where both guys are sort of like uh, high up on the target tree, and they'll ping they'll they'll have weeks where they ping pong back to back, uh, and then well over a longer sample one guy is higher and. Uh, I guess my my one note of context is that I think it, it's pretty like it's obviously bullish for Tankdale that he's a rookie and that he's doing this and that he's challenging Nico at all, and um, but I I guess also it, it it feels to me that it opens up the case it, it makes it, it makes the probability. Of, of it being a flipping much higher like if the if these if he was like if there were similar experience levels and and all that sort of stuff i i'd be more inclined to believe the sort of ping pong theory but it's it like i said it's hard to call i i would have a lean to uh, it it being tanked out over uh, nico especially given the sort of long view stuff we have on nico where uh, you know he 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 took a while to, to establish himself in the NFL. Whereas Tank I know I know Tank Dell has Caesar Stroud, but he's doing it immediately. So so I've got a follow-up question for you. Tank Dell is going
0: in the early first round. Oh um, yeah, 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 yeah. In
1: terms of like um the price sensitivity, I'm I'm saying like I think it's fifty-five percent. That Tank Dell is the new one, and probably forty-five percent that this is like just variance. And now, if you're getting like a first-round pick, to where does Nico go? Nico
0: goes in the back of the third, and sometimes all the way in the fourth. So
1: like that—that's where you talk about price sensitivity. Like like I'm saying, I'm I'm saying I have a lean to yes, it's Tank, but first round versus fourth round, a uh, tree four, in like a twelve round. 10 game slate uh difference is it's is, is massive it's massive yeah it's like you you you're you're you like to say i'll bet what dollars to donuts like sure that's a that's a sackism that you're you're if you're taking nico you're you're betting donuts to dollars <laughs>
0: Um, and then just we're just gonna give away all the dog bowl alpha. I'm I'm literally finishing all my drafts tonight so that uh, you you good people don't uh, totally mush all of my alpha before I can get to it myself. But uh, here here you go. Uh, in the all of the drafts I've been in, there are zero tank or uh, zero Nico Collins and CJ Stroud stacks, zero. So just by taking CJ Stroud and Nico Collins you're getting a huge amount of leverage on the other C.J. Stroud teams. And it's not like you're having to do it with a marginal play. You're doing it with a great play at, at cost. And so, I, I mean, I'll, I'll literally call it right now that one of the Dog Bowl teams that wins this week will be a C.J. Stroud-Nico Collins team. Like, I, I promise you. So, that's... There you what do you
1: mean you promise?
0: I, i'm just i'm telling you like it's so much leverage all you need is cj stroud to hit and like Ruff. you're you're basically crushing all the
1: other nico or you're crushing all the other stroud games. it's it's a very very strong combination it's it's yeah but it's, you don't uh, promise that that that's going to be the win i
0: promise it so. <laughs> that's the sack guarantee yeah you know or, or your money back just kidding. Absolutely not. uh
1: Okay, and um, so then I guess we're also talking about Noah Brown. I know he was like a waiver darling uh, last week after he had had the big game. Is, is, is he is he still is he still hot? or is he not?
0: In my opinion, he's closer to not. I mean, it, it just is more of a testament to CJ Stroud than Noah Brown. It's hey, whoever is here. CJ Stroud will elevate. Um, So it doesn't matter if it's Noah Brown or Dalton Schultz or, you know, fricking Jordan Aikens or whoever, like if you're out there running routes for the Texans and CJ Stroud is back there delivering it, you're going to be useful for fantasy. And so in my opinion, where you got Nico Collins and Tank Dell, you know, occupying so much of the target share, I, I don't think that I'm terribly interested in Noah Brown with both of them healthy um, but that's just me. Maybe, you know, maybe Noah Brown comes out this week and, and proves us wrong. Right.
1: So he, I, I guess he was out, um, he was out in week 11.
0: Yeah. So,
1: um, did obviously no, uh, no new news for him there uh, just has to come back from that injury. Um, but, uh, I, 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 I just had been, I'd been surprised at the, about the hype and, and, and one, one of the ask. So I, I guess we're ready to move on, and um, let's uh, let's hit the final wide receiver chart here. Um maybe maybe note that with and M- M- Michael Thomas going on IR, that that um that that makes Rashid Rashid Shahid interesting too. Especially if Jamison is in play. Oh, right, go ahead. I don't think it changes
0: anything. I don't think Michael Thomas changes Rashid Shahid at all because they were in two very distinct roles. And when Thomas went out, At Perry came in and basically took over the Thomas role one for one. What I'm actually pretty interested in is not playing AT Perry. We talked about that. We're excited for Olave. I think he could steal some of the target share that was previously going to Thomas. But what I'm interested in on this slate with the gross tight ends in a game environment that I like is Jawan Johnson. Jawan Johnson is a wide receiver in a tight ends body. You know, he's a converted wide receiver Um, hasn't been doing a ton this season. He, he missed a good amount of time to injury. And, but I I think that, you know, you get Jameis in there, he's slinging it around. I think that any of these wide receivers are live to have a big game. And that's not to say, I don't, I didn't mean to come off so strong as to poo poo Shahid. I just didn't want people to change their, I don't think your opinion of Shahid should change with respect to Michael Thomas being out. It should change because Jameis is there. And you boost Shahid for that reason, but I wouldn't expect his role to be very different. He's still going to be running the same type of routes. Um, so it's it's purely just the boost from Jameis. Now he's not really going drafted in dog bowl drafts right now. Um
1: so he, he did have an 80% route share last week. And and, and he's that that's definitely been it, it seems like he sort of bounces between the 60 and the 80. And he had a 24% targets per run. Um, and and so sorry. I, I, go make make your point. Sorry. No, no, that's yeah. I
0: I think all of these Saints passing game options are in play. The only one that I wouldn't mess with this week for fantasy is At Perry. Not because I don't think that he's in play, but just because I think that you can make better bets with Olave Shahid and Jawan Johnson. Yeah. And At Perry's interesting. And if you're if you're like truly disturbed, he's probably like min price on DraftKings. So. Yeah, go ahead and chuck him in there. But um, yeah, I, I think the whole Saints offense is really interesting. I think there's a lot of volatility in what could happen this week if you know if you get Jameis at quarterback, uh, which kind of segues back into my Taysom Hill point. So
1: um, yeah, m- makes sense for sure. Oh my god, this is th- you know what this ch- this chart looks like to me. It looks like um it looks like a plague. Of locusts swarming (laughs) towards me to eat my crops. Well,
0: uh, I've got good news for you. We're only going to talk about one player on this chart and one player only, and that's Jaden Reed. Because Jaden Reed is the best wide receiver on the Packers. It's not close. I won't hear anything else. Like, Dobbs is fine. Christian Watson will be lucky if his career is as good as Chase Claypool's or Martavis Bryant's. Like, that's what he is. You know, we've... We've already had the blueprint on this player archetype. We've already seen it. We got the red flags last season with Aaron Rodgers telling us this guy's like fucking off and not paying attention. And he's not running the right routes or doing the right stuff. He's not sharp in meeting rooms. Like we already knew that this guy was a chuckle fuck. And, and this season, like it's playing out. He He's not, you know, it, it's it was a room that was, you know, completely devoid of an alpha wide receiver. It was there for the taking. And the alpha is Jaden Reed, baby and Jaden Reed is truly delivering on what I thought was a pretty dynamic college profile. You know, I had heard other people comp him to Stefan Diggs and I thought that was an appropriate comp. And uh, I'm
1: I'm juiced for Jaden Reed. Jaden Reed to the moon, baby. And um, well, I I hadn't seen the um the Stefan Diggs um, comp. And I, I maybe I'm being argumentative, but I thought Stefan Diggs he, he he definitely was like somebody who's small school and then stayed for a while but he had an outrageous like dominator rating like yeah. outrageous market share. I I don't think uh Jaden Reed did. No, you're you're
0: correct. He Stefan Diggs certainly had a much better college profile than Jaden Reed, but Jaden Reed had enough similarities there and he did have quite a bit of dynamism where the He was team... a great
1: returner, right?
0: Yep. and, and that's That really matters to me um, in, you know, predicting NFL success. I I want to see guys with that level of dynamism and, and you've seen it, you know, it's played out with a lot of guys that are, you know, current stars in the NFL. Like I, I really didn't like Brandon Ayuk coming out for his entire profile, except his, his return game stuff. And that is the only reason why I was like, maybe there's. I'll leave a light on for Brandon Ayuk, and and sure enough, the guy is out here crushing now. Um, but yeah. there's there's lots of guys where if you just if you were only gonna follow like one little thread, it's look for guys that are you know studs in the return game where in college their coach is looking for a way for them to touch the ball even more often. Um And and that's to me that's what Jaden Reed demonstrated, and and he. He's really showing out here at the next level. So excited to see this guy going forward. I wouldn't be surprised at all if next season, if Jaden Reed's ADP coming into best ball draft season is like anywhere later than the 12th round, I'm going to have a huge bag of Jaden Reed, like just absolutely monster. He, He could
1: easily be my most drafted player. Yeah, I, I i was wondering where you you' gonna set the line there but 12 rounds seems pretty uh pretty reasonable not not hot take enough <laughs> um i mean i i, I feel i feel like um with these rookies who perform well like it it still is a red flag for me that um his for example his uh his final college season uh, his receiving yards market share was only 25. His dominator rating was only 24%. And um, so I guess to me, that mean that to me, that makes it so that like, you know, he should be priced somewhere between the eight somewhere. And now this is a wide range somewhere between rounds eight and 12. And, um the fact that he's having a, a good rookie year and he'll be a second year player that will make, that will make him a target for sure. Uh, but I guess maybe I, I, I'm I'm in between saying uh you know I think what you're saying is right where, where he where he should be a priority target I, but maybe I'm like eh, like maybe maybe a, a tad tad more hesitant just I I, I guess I don't like the, the college profile quite as much as you do. So his his college dominator was thirty five point
0: seven percent. So that's seventy third percentile. He's pretty good. His college target share twenty five percent, seventy fifth percentile, and his breakout age. Which if you're if you're only looking at like two data points for a college profile, you know, active in the return game and breakout age is probably the ones where, if you're just having a really simple model, th- those would be two things where. That's a, a good chunk of signal comes from those. So he was 98th percentile breakout age at 18.4. and uh, you know for for guys that didn't have spectacular counting stats in college like and you' you're not wrong. like if you go through, he had a really good uh, you know fourth year. Um, he, he missed 2019 um, right but his his year in 2021, he had a really good year put up over a thousand yards on 59 targets, 26% target share. Um, and then he also had just a gang of special teams yards that year. Um, but, you know, if you look at other guys who didn't have fantastic production all through college and actually kind of a similar shape of distribution of when he had his best year and, and what that looked like is Nakua. He did nothing his, you know, freshman and sophomore years had a really great junior year, and then his his senior year dipped off a little bit. Now with Puka, you're missing the dynamism and special teams, right? Um, and he, you know, had a older breakout age, worse target share, worse dominator. So, you know, with with how excited everyone is about Puka, I feel like if Puka is going before Jaden Reed next season, I'll
1: just give me right. That, that, that you. I think that's pretty fair. I, I, and I'm probably being pretty harsh on on the Dominator rating stuff, where he did actually have he did have a very strong freshman and uh, junior year. But I think it's good for you to throw a little cold water because I came out of the gate for, <laughs> for Jaden Reed there. And um, but good, uh, good, 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 and and hopefully uh, productive uh, discussion on uh, on Reed. Anyone else that you wanted to touch on here before we let the good folks go? Uh, no, no. I, I, I'm, like, looking at it, and there's guys I'd like to talk about, but I don't know, like, it, is it worth bringing up Jameson Williams again? Like, you know, it, it not really, is it? Because he's still who he, who, who he t- sort of taught he was, or, or where he's doing really well on, on this sort of short – um route chair he's getting the deep targets but it doesn't seem like they want to do anything more with him
0: yeah can i can i put a little jameson williams blurb out there in the world sure i think jameson williams bulls people that you know if you got him in dynasty or you're excited to draft him next year i think we're fucked guys because he's on the lions i think jameson williams is the most talented wide receiver on the lions but what we've talked about earlier today, about the way that the Lions manage their talent and personnel, I, I think that is going to stymie Jameson Williams' development and his involvement in this offense. I mean, I hope they prove me wrong. I hope through the back half of this season he, you know, his usage ramps up and we get to see him truly blossom. But I I got a sneaking suspicion this is going to be one of those players where we're super frustrated with his usage. Uh, We're just, we're pissed off at the Lions for not deploying him in the way that we think he should be deployed. And I mean, maybe we get fortunate in that he gets to another team when he's young enough and still has enough juice that, that he can do something. But from the limited, and I'm not a, you know, I'm not a qualified film grinder or anything like that. But man, when I watch this guy, I'm like, I mean, that looks like a pretty good route to me. Like he's, you know, he's getting open every, every time. Like he, he sure looks to be winning routes. Like I, you know, I'm not here, you know, as a route running expert or anything, but for my, uh, you know, my unsophisticated eyes, I'm pretty sure it's good when there's a lot of space between you and the defender guarding you. So, um, I don't know. That's,
1: that's all I have to say about Jamison Williams. And then uh, it, it feels like the notice is somewhat similar on uh, Rasheed Rice, where somebody super excited to start of the year was was playing really well as uh, as he was getting more snaps and all that sort of stuff, but then you look at last night and and it looked like he barely played. His route, I guess, his route percentage last night was just fifty two percent, and his um his 65% in week 7 was was sort of like a true peak which really frustrating.
0: Well, Drico, what you're forgetting or failing to realize is that when you have a true elite alpha like Justin Watson, you can't ever take him off the field
1: for Rashi Rice. So, you know, true dot true dot. It just it, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, and then I guess. Um, sorry, I, I, I'm I'm holding us up, but I, I have uh, I have guys who um, who I think we should discuss. Then the, the last one, and I think this is the last one, is Khalil Sh- Shakir, where it looks like uh, since week eight he's been above a seventy percent root share uh, every week, which I think that's that's pretty interesting. Um, and and then last week he had a at fifteen percent target for per outrun, run, thirty two percent weighted target for outrun. run. So definitely not like a target dominant player, but um, given that he plays on the Bills and he's he's running like a solid route percentage, like fantasy relevant, I think.
0: Yeah, and it's uh, it's kind of funny. Because that was my favorite, like, Bills dart throw receiver all off season. I just really liked the talent profile. And it was the same the season prior. I, I really liked him, you know, two years ago. And it's it's uh, it kind of feels validating when a team, like, gets to the same place that you have been where you're like, this guy should be on the field all the time for you guys. Why is he not on the field? And then finally, you know, through injury and other opportunities, you know, opening up for him. It's like, oh, yeah, we should use this Khalil Shakir guy. This Deontay Hardy guy is truly just a punt returner. Like, it, it should have been Khalil Shakir all the time. Like, And so, you know, one of those things where it's frustrating to see the team, you, you know, you, you always feel like you're so smart then for finding that out before an NFL team. You're like, I knew Khalil Shakir was good <laughs> all along. It's like, yeah, well, you know, we, we don't know everything. We don't know all the dynamics of maybe he's not actually able to do some of the, te- the things the team is asking him to do. And there might be other deficiencies that we're not privy to. But, you know, from a fantasy perspective, he always looked like the most intriguing option on the team there, really liked him from a cost-adjusted standpoint uh, compared to Gabe Davis. Not that I didn't draft Gabe Davis, who I also thought had a pretty good price this season, but I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if by next year we see Khalil Shakir and Gabe Davis more as like a 2A, 2B and Diggs is still the clear, you know, alpha in that offense.
1: Um, so I I'm sort of saying fantasy relevant, but not like, um, not like a you got a stardom guy. No,
0: but definitely worth uh you know worth keeping an eye He's on. Rosterable, you know could could be a, a min salary punt for DFS or something like that. Right,
1: because like he ha- he had a, he had 115 yards last week, but it was 71 yards after the catch, and and, and, and he did have the touchdown. So obviously he played really well. you you'll like to see that. Um, but then in, uh, in in other weeks where he's had similar routes, it, it's been a more sort of like uh, you're you're getting like two targets, four targets, six targets, like m- middling target count, and so y- y- you do need the big play, the big breakaway plays to uh, to get a good score from him, but. W- Worth rostering and maybe hoping for an improved and even further improved situation or, uh, God forbid, like sort of like a desperation play.
0: Yeah. And, and those, just as a note, those 71 yards after catch pretty much all came on that one breakaway touchdown play that he had, which was a, it was a great play. Like he, he honestly showed really, really good. Like it it was like a punt return style play. He was weaving through defenders. He, He was great in space. Um, Yeah, super exciting to watch. So for me, uh, the most relevant Khalil Shakir, uh, you know, notes that we can give the people is when you're drafting playoff best ball um, and and we'll go into the situations when you should be going deeper in a team and and building out those larger stacks of like three, four and even five players on a team. But when you're doing that, uh, Khalil Shakir would certainly be an interesting one to tack onto your larger bill stacks.
1: Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Uh, makes sense for sure. So I think uh, I think that's it, right? I think so. So um, thanks everyone for joining. Uh, and glad to have you uh, listening to the show. And everybody have a great uh, Thanksgiving holiday. Happy Thanksgiving! all. see you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday.